Welcome to the Sand Hills Media Ministry. We hope this production encourages and challenges you to live a more Christ-centered life. Hey, good morning. Good morning. I tell you, I am excited. Uh, we, as last week, you know, we did Compassion Sunday, and um, our goal was to rescue 100 kids from poverty, uh, meaning that we sponsor them, you're providing for them, it elevates them, all these opportunities. Compassion is a wonderful organization. Uh, so the, the director who was here last week, Scott, he called me midweek and he said, I, I just got to tell you something. Your church is awesome. Uh, and I was like, well, we know that, but it is, it's, it's nice to hear, I'm, you know. Uh, and, no, and he said, listen, he said, our goal was to release 100 kids from poverty right now. And that was numbers before this morning, which we had a number more adopted this morning. Uh, right now we're up to about 170 kids uh, that have been rescued from poverty. That's a huge thing. That's just huge. And so by the time it's said and done, we may double. We may have uh, 200 kids rescued from poverty. So thank you for your faithfulness. These relationships are real. And even if, like Scott had shared last week, even if you're just kind of sending the money and you're not even thinking much about it, somebody somewhere else in this world is deeply grateful for what you're doing. It's changing their world. So amen. All right, uh, well, let's drive on a little bit. If you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and open to, up to 1 Samuel chapter 21. 1 Samuel chapter 21. Let me catch some of you up to speed. And if you're visiting for the first time today, get you on the same page with us. So uh, today makes it a little more more sense. Uh, we're, we're tracking along with how God is um, allowing authority to be established in his kingdom. And so he is doing this through the establishment of a kingship, which was not really kind of how he wanted to do it, but he's doing it, um, submitting himself to the will of the people in this regard. And so he has chosen with them their first king, King Saul. Uh, king Saul has been a bad king. Uh, it's not a God thing. It's not God's fault. That's, you know, that's Saul's fault. Uh, so Saul has not been the king that is desired. And Saul has been wishy-washy the whole time. Like when it started off, they go to seek him. He's a younger man. And uh, it's like God has chosen you to be king of Israel. And uh, you got to figure out whether or not to submit to this. The day they go to uh, kind of inaugurate him as king of Israel, they can't find him. And they can't find him because he's hiding in the luggage. <laughs> he doesn't want to be found. He's wrestling with that. So wishy-washy about whether or not he wants to be king. Uh, then when he is king, um, he's wishy-washy about whether or not he wants to trust God. So Samuel comes along. He's like, hey, God's got some stuff for you to do. And he's like, yeah, okay, I'm going to do it. And he starts strong. But then later on, it's like, well, do I really want to lean on God or should I do what I th feel like I need to be doing? And so in the end of it, he sides with himself. Uh, and then God's like, all right, you know what? Dude, I'm just done with you. Like, you, I've given you these opportunities. You have not done what I've asked. So I am taking from you my Holy Spirit, whom I gave you personally to uh, help you be the king of Israel I need you to be. He removes that, and then he becomes a mess. And then even with King David. Like, so David's not king at this point. David's just a part of his household. Uh, he's married to his daughter, uh, Saul's daughter. And so um, he's in his household, and then he gets so angry at David one day, he throws a spear at him to kill him. And then um, they work through those issues, and then they're having dinner together later. And then when they're uh, having another meal together later, then Saul loses his mind, throws another spear to kill David. And so David's like, all right, listen, this relationship is not working. Like, like uh, don't worry, it's you, it's not me. Like, the idea, uh, like, you can't try to kill me and want me to be your friend. Like, there's a, a problem here. And so David realizes now he needs to leave. So David is on the run from Saul. The problem, of course, is that Saul is still king of the land, still in charge of the nation's army. And what's really ironic about that is up till now, David has been the general of the army. He's been the leader of the army, and now he's on the run from King Saul. So it's a weird dynamic. This is all a result of jealousy, which just reminds me, jealousy is so destructive. Uh, so if you're wrestling with being jealous about anything towards anyone, 
kill that now. Do not give in to that because it will ruin you and the people around you. Uh, so anyway, so he's trying to kill David. But the great thing about this is that God is on David's side. And so every plan that Saul has against David does not work because God is on his side. Can I just say that as a believer in Christ, I am delighted that God is on my side. <laughs> I, like he's watching over me. He's protecting me. He's taking care of me. Like praise the Lord. So if you're in Christ, amen, you've got that as well. Uh, but now uh, David is on the run. And so uh, today as we open up 1 Samuel chapter 21, we're going to talk about this uh, city of Nob and what goes on there. So go to chapter 21 of 1 Samuel. I'll read for us the first couple of verses. Then David came to Nob to Ahimelech the priest. And Ahimelech came to meet David trembling and said to him, Why are you alone and no one with you? And David said to Ahimelech the priest, The king has charged me with a matter. And he said to me, Let no one know anything of the matter about which I send you and with which I have charged you. I've made an appointment with the young men for such and such a place. All right, real vague there, a lot of, a lot of weirdness. All right, let's start off with a map. I do love maps. I've mentioned it a number of times. Uh, and I have with me today a laser pointer. Now, I have been told that when I use the laser pointer, I'm too erratic, that I need, I need to calm it down. And so stay in one place longer, let you see where the laser pointer is. Don't just flick it everywhere and assume that you're following it. Uh, so I will try to use it better today. So, uh, so here we are in Israel. This is Southeast uh, Israel. For those of you wondering, I am not currently using the laser pointer. So if you cannot see it, it's because it's not on. I don't want you to be confused. So uh, southeast of Israel. Now, the way we view Israel, Israel is just this, this long slip of land, and we do know this. So we have the Dead Sea is the southeastern border of the land of Israel. North of the Dead Sea, this is the Jordan River. The Jordan River goes up to the Sea of Galilee, which would be on the ceiling somewhere. And uh, then the Mediterranean Sea is, it's actually on the other side of uh, Philistia here. So in this day and time, the southwest part of Israel is occupied by the Philistines. And the Philistines uh, occupy the whole southeast part right up against the coast uh, coming inland. And they are the prime enemy, the chief enemy of Israel. These are the bad guys. And so just kind of keep that in your mind. Oh, Nob, we didn't talk about Nob, all this for Nob. So Nob is now the new place of worship. So Nob is where uh, the 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 temple, the, the traveling tabernacle is uh, now in Nob. It used to be in a place called Shiloh. Uh, Shiloh is not, uh, not currently pictured. Shiloh would be uh, northeast of this a little bit. Uh, Shiloh is where it was, but if you've been reading 1 Samuel with us, when the Philistines came against the corrupt high priest Eli and his corrupt sons, Hophni and Phinehas, they destroyed Shiloh. And so uh, all of this has been relocated to Nob. And then, of course, later on will be relocated to Jerusalem. Uh, but for now, this is, this is where it's located. So this is where we are at this period in history. First Samuel chapter 21, he comes. Now, one of the struggles, I think, is I worry that when we read Scripture, sometimes we read it too quickly. Like you're busting through it. I don't want you to bust through it. I want you to savor scripture, savor scripture. Now, I was trying to think, like there's some foods we savor and some we just eat. Like, you know, so if you're trying to get to work in a hurry in the morning, you've probably got a breakfast food that you go to, right? So you're just pounding down some cereal or a snack bar or whatever you do on the way out the door to get to work. Uh, so you're doing that. You're not thinking about that. You're not enjoying it. You're just eating it, right? But I want you to picture somebody that's been on a diet and they've been on a diet for a period of time. And it, it, it's like, they've been on it for several months really been faithful, haven't eaten anything bad. They've tried to be faithful. Uh, and then they're going to have one celebration night after three months of healthy dieting. And tonight, I'm going to Five Guys. 
and uh, I am going to eat and enjoy that burger. I am go- and when I eat it, it's not just other people will just be eating the burger. I will savor that. I will let every bit of fat drip down my chin. I won't even wipe it. I would just, yes, I would just enjoy my burger. And when I'm done, you will say, that man loved that burger. You know, that's that. So that's why I want you to be with scripture. I don't want you to just pound down scripture. I want you to savor it. So if you savor scripture, there are words that will stick out to you and you've already seen them. Verse 21. So then David came to Nob to Ahimelech the priest and Ahimelech came to meet David trembling. Now, I hope you didn't just bust through that the first time because there are words that show up and you should pause when you read this and go, oh, wait, why is he trembling? Why would he be afraid? Like, from his perspective, David is the top military leader of the land. He's the general of Saul's army. He's in the king's household. He's married to the king's daughter. I mean, of all people of favor, David is a man of favor. Why in the world would Ahimelech be trembling when David shows up? Now, this is the thing about studying scripture. Scripture needs to be studied uh, reading a whole book at a time. If you're just popping in and out of Scripture, just flipping it open and reading, you are doing your, yourself and your faith a disservice. Uh, you need to be studying whole books of the Bible. Uh, now, I get once you've read the Bible a lot, you can pop in and out of places you're familiar with. Totally get that. But as you're reading the story, one of the things that you'll find out if you study the story is Ahimelech has a brother, and the brother's name is Ahijah. And Ahijah has a different role as a priest. His role as a priest is to be personal counsel to King Saul, which means like he's having his own personal chaplain wherever he goes. And then, of course, I thought about how cool would it be, maybe, if you had your own personal chaplain wherever you went? Wouldn't that be neat? Like, so then we're like, I wonder what God's word says here. Do you know? And then you're like, oh, you're actually talking about, you know, you just quote the Bible verse, like, thank you. And then you go on or like, man, I'm really wrestling with something. What should I be reading in my quiet times? And then your personal chaplain's like, you should be in Galatians 5 today. You're like, thank you so much. Or like going through something. Would you pray for me? I'll pray right now. Like a right-hand spiritual guy would be awesome. So Saul has that. Kings get that. So he's got this right-hand man and the right-hand man is the brother of Ahimelech. That being the case, since word travels differently in our world now than it did back then, back then, these two brothers probably have spoken. And Ahijah has probably said to Ahimelech, dude, things are going crazy. Like, King Saul is just not all there. And he is out to kill David. Now, here's the problem. If you lived years ago and you were a, a key servant to a king, and the king was starting to lose his mind, you had two options. Like one option is, listen, I know he's going nuts, but he's still the king. And so I better do everything he says because he can kill me, right? So that's one option. The other option is this, like this dude is losing his mind. I got to start working against him. But if you work against him, you're at risk, right? You're at risk. So you got to make this decision. And so many people historically, and including in this story, will side with the crazy guy because the crazy guy's in charge. And so when David shows up, who's on the run from the crazy guy, and Ahimelech's brother Ahijah has probably already communicated to him, and he sees David, and he's like, whoa, dude, what is going on? Is there an army behind you? <laughs> like, are people shooting you? Like, what are you doing here? So there's more going on. It's unspoken, though, so we have to kind of put the pieces together. Uh, but there's more going on here as he shows up. And this is how the story begins to unfold, beginning in verse 3. Now then, David speaking, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever's here. And the priest answered David, I have no common bread on hand, but there's holy bread if the young men have kept themselves from women. And David answered the priest, truly women have been kept from us as always when I go on an expedition. The vessels of the young men are holy even when it is an ordinary journey. How much more today will their vessels be holy? 
So the priest gave him the holy bread, for there was no bread there but the bread of the presence, which is removed from before the Lord to be replaced by hot bread on the day it's taken away. All right, so now we've stepped into a bit of ceremonial Jewish history, and so this is kind of how this would work. Uh, in the tabernacle, in this case, um, you would have a table. On the table would be what they called the showbread, uh, the bread of the presence. And so this was every Sabbath, so for them every Saturday, 12 loaves of bread fresh out of the oven would be put in front of the Lord in two rows of six. So whether they were stacked uh, round pieces of bread, two loaves of six, or uh, lines of bread put in rows of six, uh, which reminds me of this, first of all, that God loves warm bread. Um, so if you too love warm bread, that's godly. It's very godly. So I just wanna, I wanna affirm you in that the next time you go to do that. Now, and, and as a side note, I also have a special place in my heart for those of you that struggle with celiac disease and you cannot eat the warm bread that we eat. Uh, God have mercy on your soul. That is so, that's so sad. That's so hard for you. I really feel for you. Uh, like a friend of mine, we were out to eat one time and he ordered gluten-free bread while we were having this other hot bread. And he was like, do you want to taste my bread? And I was like, sure, I'll, yeah, I'd be glad to taste it. And I tasted it, and I was so sad instantly. I was like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Like, you just want to put your hand on the shoulder and go, oh, I'm sorry. God bless you. Um, yeah, in heaven, though, you're going to pound down some bread, and you're going to love it. Uh, anyway, so uh, the, God loves hot bread. So wh what they would do is on the Sabbath, they make this bread, they put it out, and then the old bread they take off, and now they have 12 loaves of old bread that the priests get to eat. Uh, and I don't know what week old bread sitting out all week tastes like so you know god bless them too but they would this is what they would do and so david shows up it looks like it's the sabbath and he's like listen man, we were starving i got my guys outside and i don't i don't even know how many guys are with david at this point like he left in a hurry I, he he does have clearly some people with him which i'll show you here in a little bit but how many does he have i don't know now we do know this by the time we get to verse or chapter 22 which is coming up next week by the time you get to chapter 22 he'll have about 400 people that are traveling with him uh, before you go too much further in 1 Samuel, he'll, he'll have about 600 uh, that are part of his kind of standing army. Uh, but right now, how many are with him, we don't know. But he comes in, he asks for five loaves of bread. So how many you got with you? You're thinking five loaves is going to be, you know, enough. So uh, that's what he asks for. Now, the priest is in a bit of a dilemma here. So the problem is this bread's just meant for priests. You can't eat this. You're not a priest. But he's trying to have mercy on David. He wants to be generous, as you would hope a priest would be. Um, and so he's like, wow. I mean, if you guys have been pure, have you been pure? And like, yeah, we've been pure. I promise we've been pure. He's like, all right, well then, I mean, maybe we can, maybe we can do this. So this is something he's wrestling with. Um, and normally, when we're in the New Testament and we study a story and there's a reference back to the Old Testament, I love jumping back to the Old Testament and go like, hey, let's look at the context of the story and then see how it's being applied to New Testament principles. So here we're going to do the opposite because this shows up in the New Testament where Jesus teaches a whole story from this moment. And so let's jump to the future and see the story that Jesus is going to tell with this. Uh, it shows up in several of the Gospels, but we'll just do the Mark version. In Mark chapter 2, verses 23 through 28, we read this. One Sabbath, he, that's Jesus, was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat. And also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, uh, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the son of man is Lord even of the Sabbath. 
All right, now in his day, when Jesus dropped that knowledge, he would have so angered those religious teachers, those Pharisees that are confronting him. Uh, we won't go into all of that other than when he says, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. They're like, oh, how dare you, blasphemy. Uh, but so here's what was going on. Jesus walking with his disciples through fields of grain. Now, I didn't, I haven't grown up around fields of grain. This is no, nothing something I've ever done. I just get the concept. So they're walking through, they got heads of grain. They pop off the head of grain, put it in their hands, they rub it together. And when they rub it together, uh, it re releases the, the seed or the contents that are in there. And then they eat those as like a snack, you know? So it's like, it's like pre-bread, you know, <laughs> just eating the grains. Um, and so, but I was thinking like, you know, if we go to a ball game and I hand you a bag of peanuts, uh, the roasted peanuts, not the boiled peanuts, that's... That's just weird. So, um, the, but I give you the roasted peanuts and you're sitting there cracking them and eating them. No, so the Pharisees would say this, like, well, listen, you can't, you can't actually eat peanuts on the Sabbath. And you'd be like, why can't I eat peanuts on the Sabbath? Well, because you cracking the shell, that's work. And you're not allowed to do any work. And you'd be like, uh, it didn't work what I do to produce a living. <laughs> like this does not seem like work to me. And, uh, and what's interesting is this actually showed up in the law of Moses. In the law of Moses, he says in the law of Moses that you can just pick grain like for a snack when you're hungry. That's not considered work. But the Pharisees were so concerned uh, about what is work and, and how could we possibly violate the will of God that whenever God drew a line, the Pharisees would draw an additional line just a little ways behind it to make sure that you didn't even get near the first line. So really in doing that, they created more laws than even God had. Now, my side note would be this. It's already hard enough to follow the rules of the Lord. When you add a whole additional set, I mean, how do any of us win? Which is, uh, Jesus makes the point of that when he talks to them. Um, but this whole idea that like, it's just too much, you know, going on there. But it's not something that we, that is a foreign concept to us. Because some of you grew up in very, um, well, let's say you grew up in Christian homes but some of you grew up in very religious homes, and I would use those words differently. Like, like it's one thing to grow up in the Christian home. It's another thing to grow up in a very religious home, which I mean is lots of rules, lots of rules. And it was either your mom or your dad, or a lot of times grandma or grandpa had these rules about things you do and don't do. Anybody grew up in a home with lots of rules, lots of rules to follow Jesus? I, I know you don't want to confess. They may be with you, right? So um, you grew up in that home, and it, it's hard, right? It's really hard. So, and they had these rules, and the rules would be something like this. I mean, you just choose a few of the historical ones, like the idea that you don't play cards, right? So, uh, because if you play cards, um, I mean, like if you sit down and learn how to play hearts with your friends or spades, um, you know, it's, it's a gateway drug to being in Vegas and gambling your house away. Like that's, that's where that ends up, right? Or dancing, you know, you dance with somebody, dancing is kind of an intimate connection between a man and a woman. And, uh, if you do that, then the next thing you're going to be in bed together. Like this, this whole thing, like, so we don't do that. Like all the, and it's like, that's not how this works. Like, I mean, it's not, you're putting pieces together. So now you're creating something and you're calling it sin. So if I play cards now, I just sinned. When you're calling it sin, but God isn't, that's a problem. That's a problem. And that's what the Pharisees were doing and that's where Jesus steps in. And Jesus' idea is this, that, that sometimes there are exceptions for the greater need. Exceptions for the greater need. That's what he's holding on to. But the big problem, of course, is that the Pharisees added to the word of God. So now let's go back to where we are in this story. So in this story, the priest has to make a decision and he makes the right decision. He leans towards mercy rather than a overly strict and misunderstanding of the law. And so he takes care of David, he provides for him, and, uh, and then that allows him to get the sustenance that he and his guys need. All right. So then we go on to verse seven, now verse seven. Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord. His name was Doeg the Edomite, the chief of Saul's herdsmen. 
right? So Doeg shows up. Well, first of all, he's there very innocently. He's detained by the Lord. Now, it may not mean much to you, but really what it means is this. He's seeking God. That's why he's there. One of the great perks we have, if you're a Christian, if you're, if you're somebody who's filled with Christ, you know the Lord, the great perk that you have is the presence of God is with you wherever you go. Like that is something, like we don't have a concept for that because we live in it. But like when you get to heaven and you start talking to people who uh, were, were in Old Testament times, pre the spirit of Christ indwelling them, I'm sure there will be conversations like, what was that like? What was it like to have the presence of the spirit of God within you wherever you went? And you'd be like, I don't know. We just kind of live that way. And they'd be like, ah, oh, it's so crazy. I'm not, you know, like they did not live that way. And we do. So it's, it's a remarkable thing. But if you want to spend time with the Lord, you just spend time with the Lord. Like if you're like, I really need to meet with God right now. You, you can either do it quietly in your seat or you can get up and go walk, sit down somewhere and pray and read your Bible and like spend time with the Lord. Like for these guys back then, it was in a place. And so it's, I've got to go to Shiloh or I've got to go to Nob or I've got to go to Jerusalem because I really need to meet with God. And that's what Doeg is doing. Doeg is detained by the Lord. So he's taking some time off to really just meet with God. But he is listening in on the conversation. And so you have a top advisor in the household of Saul who is there listening, overhearing this conversation. All right, let's go forward. It's, he's not done with what he's heard yet. Verse eight. Uh, then David said to Ahimelech, then have you not here a spear or a sword at hand? For I have brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me because the king's business required haste. And the priest said, the sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you struck down in the valley of Elah, behold, it is here wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you will take that, take it, for there's none but that here. And David said, there is none like that. Give it to me. Wow. Well, how fortunate is David to show up? Like, listen, I need something. Um, do you have, I, like, I don't, I don't have any weapons. Like, do you have anything? He's like, well, I have the sword of Goliath. You know, the one you did to bring victory to all of Israel. You lopped off his head. And David's like, oh, that's, yeah, that's a great, let's take that sword. That's awesome. But can we just talk about how weird this should be? Like, Ahimelech was shaking in the beginning. He's probably shaking even more so now. Let's imagine that you have a friend. You have a friend who's a very high-ranking police officer in our state. In fact, he, he's like a right-hand man to the governor himself. And wherever the governor goes, your friend goes as like his right-hand man, his bodyguard. And then one day, this friend shows up at your house, knocks on the door, comes in. He's like, hey, listen, man, um, kind of in a, a bit of a hurry here. Uh, do you have any food? Do you have any food I could get? Do you have some food? And you're like, oh, I mean, I've got some, you know, so you're getting that for me. He's like, okay, good, good. I need that. And then also, um, you know, I was in a hurry because the governor sent me on this big thing. Very uh, high level. I can't tell you about it. Uh, it's kind of a secret thing. Uh, but I was in such a hurry. I forgot my gun. Do you have any guns? Do you have some guns? I could use some guns right now. Do you have some guns? And can we hurry it up just a little bit here? You know, like if your friend showed up with that, you're already, a, you're like, you're punching 911 behind your back, right? There's like something is going on here. That's what's going on. Like he shows up, he's asked for all this and him like, well, what's going on here? What are we doing here? I mean, when's the last time you've ever heard about a soldier who heads out on a mission and forgets his sword? When's the last time you ever had a friend who's a policeman or, you know, a policeman shows up for duty and is like, where did I leave my gun? I had it earlier. Like, you know, I bet I left it in that restaurant. Like, that's just not something that's going to happen. Like, they're going to have their stuff with them. So when the soldier shows up and he's like, I forgot my sword. Man, that's, ah, I mean, there's a red flag waving big time on that kind of deal. So this is really bizarre. Uh, but he provides for him the sword. Now, again, Doeg in the background taking all of this in. 
All right, so this, if you haven't already sensed it already, tension is building. We have the trembling priest. We have David who is deceiving. Uh, we have a king's man, Doeg, overhearing the conversation. We have David looking for a weapon in food uh, and then vanishing from the premises. So this is setting up a storyline that's to come. So I'm not going to give you all those details. They come in the future. Of course, you're free to read ahead, uh, just not right now. Uh, all right, and so let's go to verse 10. So, and David rose and he fled that day from Saul and he went to Achish, the king of Gath. So he goes to Achish, the king of Gath. All right, let's bring our map back up here just for some fun. All right. So we know that he has been in Nob. Nob is here. Nob is about 25 miles northeast of Gath. So Gath is where he flees. And here he is seeking shelter. Please notice that there's this weird line that goes here. And there's a name for this region. The name of this region is Philistia, which means that David has fled to the Philistines to hide from King Saul. All right, before we go further in the story, anybody here going, hmm, that sounds odd. That sounds odd to me. Like, it should. It should sound really, really odd to you. But let's talk about it a little bit as we go forward in the story. So he goes to Achish, the king of Gath, verse 13. Uh, oh, no, not verse 13. Let's get that. Uh, verse 11, go back. So, and the servants of Achish said to him, is not this the David, the king of the land? Did they not sing to one another of him in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands and David is ten thousands? All right, a couple things here. One, this is the danger of a popular song. That now even the enemies are singing it. And they're like, what was that catchy song about? Saul kills thousands, David kills ten thousands. Remember that? David kills the ten thousand. You know who the ten thousands are? They're Philistines. That's who they are. Like the, the song's about wiping out your people. That's what it's all about. And when he shows up too, because they're like, I think he's like a king or something in his own land. So like David shows up. Now, something else I want to tell you. He shows up with Goliath's sword. Now, Admittedly, he may not have carried it into this first meeting. But the, I just it strikes me funny. And he wouldn't have been wearing it on his side because this is a Goliath sword and Goliath was a beast. So if he's going in, he's probably got this giant hilt sticking up from back, which would look super cool, by the way. So he's walking up. He's got this giant sword sticking out of his back. And you can just see people going there like, I feel like we know you. Like, like something, something about you. Uh, but here's the thing. That sword you're carrying, isn't that Goliath's sword? Now, we need to pause in our story. Guess which city Goliath is from? Yeah, he's from Gath. Yeah, so like when he shows up and somebody's like, isn't that, no, Goliath was their hero of heroes, like, like their champion of champions. Like when you talk about Goliath, he's like, Goliath's our guy. And he was killed by that snot-nosed Israelite punk who threw a rock in his head and just by chance knocked him out and then cut off his head with his own sword. Like, they have their own songs about David, and we can't sing them in public. Like, they're, they don't like him. So when he shows up with that, and they're like, that's Goliath. He's the guy that killed Goliath. And you can see these little old ladies like, oh, oh, you know, like, that's the guy. And then they're like, you're the one who killed the tens of that. You're the king from it. And so they're freaking out. And it's at this point that David realizes, I have made a horrible mistake. <laughs> what am I doing here? Like, I don't even know what I'm doing here now. So th this is starting to come uh, to him at this point. Verse 12, and David took these words to heart and was much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. And the reason he's afraid is because as they're putting the pieces together, he has killed so many Philistines. I mean, he has killed so many of them. The, the idea that he could go there for shelter strikes me as odd. Now, again, I want to be very careful about trying to sit in judgment on King David because like when we get to heaven, everybody will know King David. Nobody will care about me. So like we're in different categories. But, but for now, I just, it just seems odd to me that he, that he does this. And, uh, and then verse 12 says, David took these words to heart and he was much afraid of Achish, much afraid. Now, you're not going to see that in reference to David 
hardly at all, that he was much afraid. And it does lead me to this, as I'm trying to think through, and as we're heading towards our lessons learned in this, like David is afraid. Is fear connected to sin? Does fear demonstrate a lack of faith? Like, I think it's an important question because we need to answer that for us. So here's another thing. Like, like what about it? Like, is fear connected to anxiety? Is it possible that, that the, this anxiety could also demonstrate a lack of faith? Or, or could there be a godly version of fear, which is an understanding of circumstances? Because I, I have met saints before who are, who are, I don't know if I could use the word correctly, they're a bit afraid of what's in front of them, but they step anyway. And we'd call that faith. We call that courage, right, before the Lord. So there, I guess the, the, the motivation's the big thing. What's the reason that you're afraid? What's the reason that you have this anxiety? But I think in this case, probably it is because of some misplaced judgment on David's uh, behalf, that that has led to this fear. And maybe, maybe he hasn't been quite trusting the Lord like he could be in the midst of this. But I do know this. You can't run away from who you are. You can't run away from who you are. Your reputation will precede you or it will follow you, but one way or another, you can't run from who you are. The side note on that, by the way, is that God can always rewrite your story. So people are like, we know who you are, and you could always be like, wait, listen, God's rewriting my story. So amen to that. Uh, Longer conversation for a different sermon. But but now it leads us to here uh, as we have the response of Achish. Uh, Verse 13, so he changed his behavior before them and he pretended to be insane in their hands and made marks on the doors of the gate and let his spittle run down his beard. And then Achish said to his servants, behold, you see this man is mad. Why then have you brought him to me? Do I lack madman that you brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? But this is also weird. (laughs) Like, so David shows up, hey, guys, I'm on the run. Uh, your enemy is King Saul. He's now my enemy. Wondering if you guys could put me up for a little while. Like, anyway, we can work that, this out. And then it's like, um, didn't you kill, like, our champion? And haven't you killed, like, tens of thousands of our friends and family? And David realizes he makes a big mistake. And then suddenly, he's like, and he's going, I mean, like, somebody's got to be like, He's faking, he's faking this. Like, we were just having a conversation with this dude, and now he's Mr. Nutso? Like, how does that work? Uh, either way, it works. And I might even be this. It might even be if you pulled Akish aside. Akish could be like, listen, I know he's faking it, but clearly he knows he's made a mistake. He wants out. I want him out. <laughs> he's a dangerous guy, and he could kill me. So if he wants to go, let's let him go. Uh, and so they released him to go on to his, uh, his future. So anyway, so as this is all going down, I think for us, this brings us down to one of my favorite parts is when we talk about lessons learned, lessons learn. Now, it's a different, a different thing a bit for, for us because we're not in that circumstance. But you, you have been in similar circumstances. And I would say this, all of us have been in, the, in, in a circumstance where we're seeking the Lord's will, but we don't know what to do. You have been there. Many of you are there. You're seeking the Lord's will, but you don't know what to do. Because that's, that's David's story. Seeking the Lord's will, but I'm just not sure what to do, how to go, how to go about this. And David's really living in this tension right now. He's living this tension of, I I totally trust God. I totally love God. I'm totally submitted to God. And I'm trying to figure out what to do. And I don't really know what I'm supposed to do. And I'm trying to make it up as I go. And I know that I'm also a bit of a mess 
which is why I'm lying as I go along because I'm not sure who I can trust. I don't know how much of this is me. I don't know how much of this is the Lord leading me. Like, like he's going through some stuff here. And really interesting to this is, if you're taking notes, by the way, um, you should write down in your notes Psalm 34. Psalm 34 is the psalm that David wrote about this exact incident. It is literally about this whole thing here. And so what, what strikes me as interesting in, in this is that Psalm 34 is all about, God, I trust you, you protect me, you provide for me, I'm totally putting my faith in you. Like, I love this in that David's scared, he's made a bad call, he's in the middle of something, and yet he's still leaning on the Lord. Now, you want to talk about a model for us. That's a model for us. Like, how many of us are living that story or have lived that story? So uh, this last week, I was talking to a couple, and uh, they were asking me some wisdom for some decisions they're making in their life. And I, I just took them, to, I said, listen, I'm going to take you to a couple of verses that have been so powerful to me. I've memorized them years ago, and they still affect me consistently. Uh, and you should memorize them too. And when I say you, I mean, you should memorize these. Uh, many of you have. Uh, okay, so we'll put it up here for you. Uh, this is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Uh, many of you know this by heart. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. So I want to break that down for you just a little bit here, because I think this verse is super powerful, and it connects exactly to what is going on here. So the first part is this. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Now, the pre-understanding here is that you're a believer in Christ. You've submitted to him. You've got your faith in Jesus, all right? So you trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And I ask you, are you trusting the Lord with all your heart? You're like, listen... As much as I know how, like I, I am put my faith in Christ. He's my savior. I love him. All my faith is in the Lord. I know God is everything. I'm nothing. He's all powerful. I'm weak. Like I get the whole, I get the whole dynamic. I'm trusting the Lord with all my heart. Do not lean on your understanding. Yes, amen, I can be an idiot. Like, I, I don't always make the right call. Like, I try to, but there are just times I just, I get into something, and like, David, I'm like, what have I done? Why have I, I am so stupid. Why have I done this thing? So I know my own understanding can get me in trouble. In all your ways, acknowledge him. All right, that makes sense too. It's just like, okay, listen, as I'm going through, I have this big decision in front of me. This, I've got to figure this out. And so I'm just like, okay, Lord, I'm, I'm praying. Please, will you show me? Will you lead me? Will you teach me? Like, I need your input. But the thing you discover in this journey is that God's input is not always as clear as you would like it to be. And so though you have been praying and though you have been studying the word, there is no thus saith the Lord, now you go and do. Like, it's just not always that clear. And it drives you crazy when you talk to somebody. And they're like, I was praying to the Lord and he gave me clarity about what I should do. And you're like, I want to hit you right now. Like, that is not my walk with the Lord. My walk with the Lord is I pray and I have no idea what I'm supposed to do. Like, like he does not tell me. I'm just waiting for an email or something. I, I get nothing. And so this is that idea. You, you're gonna, in all your ways, you're gonna acknowledge him and he'll make straight your paths. This is the promise. You have to understand it results in this promise. He will make straight your paths. And, and I know you look at that and you're like, oh, Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Um, but I plan to ruin this verse for you. Um, this is my goal. So uh, you're going to do all these things. You get to the end. He's like, okay, man, if I do all that, then he's going to make it straight my path. Yes. You do know there are things in there that it does not say. He will make your path easy. He will make your path clear. He will make your path discernible. He, he will make your path uh, a blessing to everyone around you. Like, it doesn't make those promises. Like, it just says it'll be straight. And so this is how I think this works out. You are working your way through life like you have um, a plane wrecked in the Amazon jungle. And you're going through with a machete, hacking the vines, dodging the snakes, uh, trying to get away from stuff. And you, you just feel like you're hitting your head against something. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know where I'm going. God, please leave me. I wish you would leave me. You hack your way through this. And finally, you emerge. And you're like, oh, I'm so glad that was over. And if God were to take you up in a helicopter and show you your path, it was a straight line to his will. 
And you're like, oh my gosh. Like, did you really just do that? And God's like, I told you I would. You're like, yeah, but it seemed like a nightmare in the journey. I had no idea. And God's like, that's why it's called faith. That means you're trusting in me, not you. And if I could just say, this is how we do life. We do life this way. They're like, I am trying to lean on God. It is so hard. I don't always know that I'm making the right call. I'm trying to. Like, I'm praying about everything. I'm seeking him in the word. Like, but when these decisions hit me, there is no thus saith the Lord. I just take the next logical step that is in front of me. And I am trusting that God will lead me. And what you're going to do is you're going to get the end of your life. And you're going to look back at these moments. And you'll see you've walked a straight line through the chaos to the will of God. That's how faith works, walking with Jesus. I know it doesn't make sense, but in some ways it kind of does. He's been doing that for me and for you for years. Sometimes you just need to hear somebody say it so that you don't feel like you're a complete fool when it comes to following the Lord. Let me pray for us. God, thank you so much for this reminder today. We absolutely need it. Lord, we all have stuff we're battling, decisions we're trying to make, stuff in front of us. And Lord, we would in a real moment with you, just say, it doesn't always seem like you're leading us. And yet, Father, based on your promises, you are. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Lord, we do trust you. And even though we can't see it, we will just claim by faith that we are walking a straight path to your will. In your holy name, amen.